The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by the Reverend Zach Keel. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. So as we're going through Isaiah... Schedule has been rearranged a little bit because of special events, so we're actually going back in our chapters to uh, chapter 46 and 47. Yeah, they assigned me two chapters for whatever reason, as if one wasn't enough. But uh, these two chapters are really parallel oracles against uh, Babylon, so we will be looking only at chapter 46. I'll read that uh, chapter. Bell bows down, Nebo stoops, their idols are on beasts and livestock. These things you carry are borne as burdens on weary beasts. They stoop, they bow down together, they cannot save the burden, but themselves go into captivity. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel, you who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb. Even to your old age, I am he, to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made, and I will bear. I will carry, and I will save. To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be alike? Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver in the scales hire a goldsmith, and he makes it into a god. Then they fall down and worship. They lift it to their shoulders, they carry it, they set it in its place, and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. If one cries to it, it does not answer or save him from his trouble. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done. Saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. Listen to me, you stubborn of heart. You who are far from righteousness, I bring near my righteousness. It is not far off, and my salvation will not delay. I put salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. Let us uh, pray to our Lord. Heavenly Father, as we take this moment to open your scripture and to meditate upon your holy word, we pray that you would now give us the help of your spirit, to illumine our hearts and to humble our spirits so that we might be teachable, that we might learn your truth, that we might delight in your amazing works that you have proclaimed from the beginning that will surely come to pass in the latter end. And we thank you, Lord, all of this focuses us upon our Savior, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. So be with us now, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we've been going through this uh, series, it's been mentioned uh, probably more than once that uh, about Isaiah's style, that he has a very elevated style. Some scholars call him the Shakespeare of the Old Testament. 
And so I thought it was fitting for us to uh, po- uh, pause a little bit and particularly highlight Isaiah's style, how poetic it is, how glorious it is, and how pastoral it is as it brings us into the text and to our Savior. Now, I think it's helpful to remember who is the target audience for these oracles. Now, we could list numerous audiences that could be um, intended here, but there's one that stands out as the target audience, and these are the exiles in Babylon who have freshly been drugged from Jerusalem, seen the temple burned, the city crumble, and now their servants, slaves, and hired people working in the grand and amazing kingdom of Babylon. So remember that this is primarily that who Isaiah has in mind. Thus he opens with a very vivid and um, uh, ironic image. Note he mentions Bel and Nebo, or Bel and Nabu in Akkadian. Now Bel is the title for Marduk, means Lord. And Marduk was the chief deity, the creator, the Lord and protector of the great Babylon. Nabu was the son of Marduk. He was the god of writing and wisdom, and he kept the tablet of destiny. And Isaiah here plays on a festival. It's the festival of the Babylonian New Year, or the Akitu festival. This is when statutes of Bel, or here Marduk, and Nabu were paraded out of the city to a temple in this grand procession and then brought back into the city for glory and victory. This procession lauded Marduk for his battles, as well as there were omens and um, fates for the new year to come. But note here the change on this perception. Here, Bel doesn't go victoriously, but bows down. Nebo stoops, positions of abasement, humiliation, and defeat. And note, they're on animals, but they're carried as loads, as you would carry firewood or food or or skin of wine. He says, these idols are on beasts, livestock. These things you carry as a burden on weary beast. He, now he pictures animals, oxen and donkeys and draft horses dragging their feet, holding up the statutes of these gods. Here, we now get a play on exile. Note verse 2, they go into captivity. This is now a picture of the Egypt or the gods of um, Babylon being taken into uh, exile as if they were the plunder just for silver and gold and whatever there were. The thing about this is this very procession, exiling, have seeing sacred uh, statutes and stuff carried out, this just happened to Israel. In 586, what did Babylon do? They took the vessels out of the temple, put them on carts and beasts, and carted them off to Babylon with Israel in chains in tow. Indeed, Marduk, or the Babylonians, were probably singing that Marduk had vanished, or vanquished Yahweh. This was a test of the exiles' faith. In the destruction of Jerusalem, in their exile, 
Was Yahweh defeated? Remember, the war between nations was also a war between gods. In fact, the covenant curse has said when they go into exile, the Lord would forsake them. And Deuteronomy 28, he says, you will not have gods and you will be left only with the idols that you always sought out. Thus now speaking to these uh, um, exiles, he says, your captors, your mighty, the mighty Babylons with their great, supposedly great gods, they will go into exile. What happened to you? will happen to them. And note verse 2 again. They stoop. Wonderful, nice, if you got your Hebrew, chiastic uh, repetition. Bell bows down. Nebo stoops. Now verse 2. They stoop. That is the beast and the statutes. They bow down together. The animals are falling down on the road. And note they cannot save a burden. These gods can't even save a load of goods, much less themselves or anybody else. But then the Lord speaks to Israel. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel. Now he, ad- he addresses these exiles who are having this crisis of faith. Do we believe in idols? Are the idols more powerful than Yahweh? Well, the Lord speaks. Listen to me, remnant. Then he uses two wonderful passive participles, again linking back to verse 1. Verse 1, they, the things they carry, the burdens. But here now, you are the ones who are born. You are the ones that are carried. So note how he refers to the house of Jacob, the remnant of the house of Israel, those who are carried, and those who are born. He addresses Israel as those who have always been carried. And note from where? From the womb, from the uterus. But here, from, you expect to. So mean, you have odd. To, old age. To, gray hair. He says, you guys have been carried from the cradle to the grave, from diapers to depends, from the nursery to the hospice. You've been carried your whole life You never even learned to walk. You never left the papoose or the baby carrier. And who carried them? Verse 4, note it's delayed in the Hebrew. You are carried, passive. You are the ones that were born, passive. And who? I am he. In fact, in verse 4, five times Isaiah repeats, Ani, I. And then matching five first masculine singular verbs, I will bury, I have done, I will do this. The Lord is the one who's been carrying him this whole time. Even while they're in exile, even while they're having this crisis of faith, Yahweh is carrying them. Note the tenses in the second half of verse 4. I have done it, or I past tense, I have done it. In the past I've carried you. And then switch to the future, I will carry I will support, I will save. Here, verse 4, I will save, goes back to verse 2. They were unable to save. Idols cannot save you, but Yahweh will. What an encouragement to these exiles who are wondering, is Yahweh powerful? As we are in our poverty and servitude, is Yahweh here? And Yahweh says, yes, I'm carrying you even now. 
Of course, he further addresses their temptation to turn to idols. Verse 5, to whom will you liken me? To whom will you compare me that we will resemble one another? Classic question of incomparability. The Lord, nobody matches him. No, nothing can compare to him. Then in verse 6, we see this little parody, this sarcastic parody of making an idol to show the folly of making idols. They pour uh, gold from a bag. They weigh silver in a balance. They hire a smith. He makes a, a, a god. They bow down to it, even prostrate to it. And then verse 6, we get more plays with this carrying imagery. But here it's, they carry the idol on the shoulder. They support the idol. They set it down. They nail it down so it will not be moved. So note, in verse 1, the idols are carried by these beasts of burdens into exile. In verse 3, Israel is carried by uh, Yahweh. And in verse 7, idolaters carry their own idols. This is, there is one question. To carry or to be carried? And the Lord says, there's only one right answer. To be carried. Then he turns back to address the exiles in verse 8, calling them to remember, two times to remember, and three to bring it to mind. Note he addressed them as rebels, as those who violated the covenant. There's no ifs, and, or buts here. Israel is not innocent. They're sinners. They're rebellion. They're in exile because they broke the covenant. In fact, verse 8b, bring to mind, this is an idiom that alludes to Deuteronomy 30. And in Deuteronomy 30, verse 1, he says, All these things will come upon you, the blessings and the curses. And when you're in exile, you will recall to your mind. You'll remember, and I will show you mercy. Their right and Sinai are here in the plains of Moab in Deuteronomy. He tells them, you're going to fail. You're going to go into exile, but I'll save you later on. And now he tells the exiles, Remember, I told you this exile was going to happen. This is not a surprise. I told you this. No, verse 9, remember the former things of old, i.e., what I told you in the covenant. Then he further goes and in this grand statement, I am the Lord, there's none beside me. I'm the one who declares from antiquity, the latter things, from ancient times, things that have not been done, who speaks, my counsel will stand, and my desire I will do. Here, again, highlighting that his word always comes true. It always is fulfilled. It never fails. Then in verse 11, he calls this bird of prey from the east, uh, from a distant land, a man of his counsel. Uh, probably a reference to the Cyrus figure, calling this bird of prey, this man from the east, i.e., to destroy Babylon and to uh, liberate his people. Finally, in verse 11, we get these uh, assertions, I have spoken, and I will bring it back. I have fashioned it, and I will do it. There should be no doubt. The Lord told them they were going to go into exile. It happened. Now he tells them he's going to redeem them. Do not doubt it will happen. Finally, verse 12 and 13, he again turns back to people. Listen to me. Here, linking back to verse 3. Listen to me. And note he calls them arrogant ones, as the ESV uh, translates, or mighty of heart. You who are stubborn, 
You have resisted. You who think yourself great, who are filled with hubris and arrogance. And then verse 12b, those who are far from righteousness. You are far from righteousness. You never kept the law. You never obeyed. You never loved, never feared. Righteousness is a distant reality from you. And then 13, the wonderful surprise. You who are far from righteousness, verse 13, I will bring near my righteousness. It's not far. My salvation, it will not tarry. And then the second part, I will set in Zion my salvation. I will give to Israel my glory. Now he predicts that he will bring to them the righteousness they could never do themselves. In Deuteronomy 6.25, it said, If you do these uh, laws, if you keep my commandments, they will be your righteousness for the blessings. They never met this. They never obeyed. They never had righteousness. And so what they failed, now the Lord produces his own. He brings his own righteousness to them. Indeed, note this this wonderful chiasm here in verse 13. I bring near my righteousness, salvation, I set my salvation, and then linking up with righteousness, I will give to Israel my glory. Here, bringing near his righteousness and giving Israel his glory are lined up as two pairs. The glory of the Lord will enshrine Israel, and that glory will be his gift of righteousness. This is where the Lord will carry his people. For clearly back in verse 3, he said, I've carried you from the womb to when you're gray. Well, that's not just an individual reference. It's a corporate reference from the beginning of Israel's life to the end. Well, here is the end of Israel's life. The Lord carrying them and bringing them back to Zion and nestling them in his city of salvation, glorified in his righteousness. This is what the Lord promises those weary and doubting exiles who are overwhelmed by the glory of Babylon and all the pomp of their idols. And the Lord says they're nothing. They're carried off as spoiled. But I will bring you to Zion. And thus, it's this promise, the Lord bringing near his righteousness, that was so near and dear to the apostles' mind. For note what both uh, Peter and uh, Stephen speak about Christ in Acts. Peter says, you rejected and denied the righteous one. Stephen, before he's stoned, he says, you've killed the righteous one who was proclaimed beforehand. The bringing near of his righteous one was Christ. Jesus is the righteousness of the Lord who was established in Zion with his death and resurrection. It's in him that we have salvation. And thus how important this is for us. For like those exiles, in our world we're surrounded by the might of Babylon, the world's idols. The church often looks weak. Our faith often looks weak. We don't see the Lord working a lot. Is he God or is the world and the gods of the world more powerful? The Lord says here, He is the only God, and he is the one who carries us from the beginning to the end. 
Indeed, in our weakness, we are able to rest in the righteousness of Christ and in the truth that Jesus carries you from your diapers to your depends, from your conception to your resurrection. All that the Father has given to Christ, he will not lose one. But he holds you in your hand, and despite your weakness, indeed, in light of your weakness, he carries you always. Or to put it in the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 1, Christ will sustain you to the end, guiltless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. This is what Christ's righteousness does. It not just justifies you now, but it ensures you that Christ will bring you and sustain you guiltless in the day of his coming. Or in the words of another, Gomaris, one of the leading theologians at the Synod of Dort, his life motto was, the Lord shall finish it for me. The Lord has carried us thus far, and he will carry us all the way to the end. And this is a truth that is so wonderful and comforting for his glory. Amen. Copyright Westminster Seminary, California, 2019. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.